now I'm piecing it all together. <laughs> I just really like became uh, very Tom Hanks in um, Da Vinci Code. I just totally <laughs> became Tom Hanks in Da Vinci Code to piece that all together. And like um, little Amelie character woman was helping me and my hair yeah. was dyed very badly. It was pretty cool for a second there. My daddy wants you to know a lot of the episodes have mostly clean language, but this episode has some words in it that aren't meant for all ages. So if you have kids like me in your house, you may want to put some headphones on for this one. You've been warned. Done, done, done. Bute Vitani, which is welcome in Czech. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted Podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator and host of the podcast. And again, I will do this from time to time. I will let you all know that I do a different language intro of different various foreign language that I pick randomly just to kind of say, if nothing else, you may have learned how to say welcome in a different language from this podcast. So I'm out there trying to help you guys come away with something very positive. Um, so today, I am very happy to have on the show RJ B for his second episode. RJ, if you didn't listen to his first episode, you should go back and do that. Uh, but he is a co-creator of another podcast, which is called The Helping Friendly Podcast, which is a podcast about the band Fish, which is a conversation with himself and his co-host and various other fans and other people surrounding the, I almost said empire, I guess they do kind of have an empire, the empire of fish. So I have been talking for quite a while on Twitter with RJ about us both being on each other's podcasts and he is on mine first and then eventually I'll let you guys know when I am going to potentially be a guest on his podcast but here we are to talk about the business of podcasts and what got him into doing it as well as our conversation about our musical backgrounds and our histories of how in the world did we fall into this jam band music society of uh, fandom of really of fanaticism let's let's not mix words here we are both absolute fanatics for the bands that we enjoy and it's kind of cool for a throwback to uh, some of you youngsters out there who didn't have to go through what we did with cassette tapes predating cds and everything it's kind of cool reminiscing with somebody else about that about how we had to work to obtain some of this music that is so easily downloadable now immediately after a show happens even sometimes and what we had to do to work so hard for it pre real interneting and all that kind of stuff so i really enjoyed this conversation with rj and i am very positive that you will as well so without further conversation here is the episode of the second part with myself and RJ. All right, so we are here with our second episode with RJB, 
I know we talked in that first episode about <laughs> a very serious matter about me waking up uh, crying from dreams. And I will say that the other thing that really bums me out, like it's very sad how much this bums me out. But when I wake up from a dream and I had like really good hair in it oh, because I'm basically mm-hmm. bald now and I just yeah. shave my head so that I don't look like Captain Stubing. <laughs> and the dreams, I, I mean, I have the ones where my brain is really taunting me for some reason where I have, cause I used to have long straight hair and back in 90, 91, when I was uh, running around seeing the dead everywhere, it was like, past my shoulders long and so I'll have the dreams every once in a while where my hair is long like that and then I wake up and I'm like damn that's crazy yeah I do not know that feeling yet but maybe I will someday someday I will maybe rock a big comb over oh man that'd be amazing should totally do that (laughs) I really have thought about it and thought like I'm just gonna do it but it's one of those things that I know nobody will get like now if I grew like a neck beard or like Stasic with his rat tail or something Mm -hmm, like that. mm -hmm. Like it's one of those things that people kind of know you're doing it tongue in cheek or whatever. But if I really grew a comb over, like uh, I I would have to literally walk over to everybody and say, I'm doing this as a joke. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then that kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, maybe I can find uh, some kind of linchpin leader to, make it one of those kind of off, you know, cause beards weren't as in style as they became somewhat recently. So yeah. maybe the come over is ready to take over. Yeah. It might come back. But if it really, if Bill Murray and Woody Harrelson and Kingpin did not bring back the comb over because of how yeah. amazing theirs were, I, I don't know what it will take. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. It's probably not coming back. <laughs> Okay, so we are here again with RJ, who is one of the, how would you say this, one of the co-founders of the Helping Friendly podcast? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, RJ is a, well, I'll let you tell some of it, but the Helping Friendly podcast is a podcast about Fish the Band, PH Fish. Yep. And so you grew up in Ohio. When, tell me about your musical history, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, thanks for, for having me on and for having me back. It's, I guess I, I like a lot of people kind of started with classic rock, you know, I was a classic rock fan first, probably introduced to Led Zeppelin probably first and some Rolling Stones and that, that sort of stuff. Um, when I was in my early, early teens, I definitely stumbled upon the Grateful Dead before, before I ever heard fish because it was just, it was just a little more widely circulated in, you know, the circles that, that I was in, in high school. Mm-hmm. I think my freshman or sophomore year in high school, I heard fish for the first time. I was probably 13 and kind of just became, you know, like so many fish fans. If, if people are familiar with, with the band, they know that I'm sure that everyone, most people know a person who's obsessed with fish. It seems like it's something that's like, it's like, you know, a relative who, you know, had some sort of weird disease. Like everyone kind of knows a fish fan. <laughs> I like that. That's the way you quantify yeah. it. Yeah. It's yeah. like a, you know, it's a weird thing. It's either leprosy or a love for the band fish. Exactly. Basically. No, it's, um, and you know, I started collecting tapes when I was 13 or 14 and I had a collection of hundreds of fish tapes by the time I left for college. 
and yeah, just sort of fell in love with, with fish and, and with the Grateful Dead and, and with music in general. I mean, I've listened to a lot of, um, I still listen to a lot of different music. I was listening to like Medeski Martin and Wood and other sort of jazz inspired stuff in high school. And I still love jazz. Our son's named after a, a famous jazz musician. Um, you know, I've, I've just, music is one of those things that I'm most passionate about and that really every day, you know, if I'm at work or at home in the morning or after work, like I pretty much always have music playing um, wherever I am because it's just it's just a critical sort of part of my life. Yeah, that's cool because I'm sure there there's no way that there's going to be other kids in his class named Thelonious. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> let me let me go back a tiny bit. Who were the people that were bringing the stones and classic rock and whatnot into your headspace? Were they your older siblings or? Yeah, no, they were, it was mostly like just people like friends at school, you know, Mm -hmm. my bro, my older brother and sister were, were older enough that like, they were just listening to totally different things. They were listening Mm -hmm. to the earliest music. I remember my sister listening to was like night Ranger and, you know, eighties sort of, 80s pop rock um madonna you know that sort of stuff but mm-hmm. yeah my stepdad who i mentioned last time we talked he was a big classic rock fan had a lot of records so i heard a lot mm-hmm. of kind of classic albums for the first time probably for the first time you know on vinyl at, from his collection mm-hmm. remember houses of the holy and um you know sergeant peppers and abbey road and hearing all these really pretty epic albums i didn't know they were epic at the time i just thought they were like cool music cool. but now, yeah. now i know Okay, so what year were you born? Uh, 79. Okay, so 79. I was born in 72. And my older siblings, like, I was hearing a lot of that on albums and eight tracks in some of their cars and whatever. And Mm -hmm. I remember exactly like the movie. It's one of my favorite movies, too. Oh, Almost Famous. It was almost exactly like the kid's experience when he pulls out the records from under the bed mm-hmm. and he's like tracing his hand on the album covers. I was doing that with Kiss albums and Led Zeppelin and some random ones too, like uh, Christopher uh, Christopher Cross and some. Mm-hmm. my sister had some <laughs> kind of interesting records in the mix as well. But it's it's cool like seeing who those people are that are pulling us into these different first experiences with music and where we're hearing it and where we're learning it from. I think that that's always an interesting part of musical history to me. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I had a few different influences, spheres of influence, I guess, you know, between, between some older people like my stepdad and then, you know, just friends at school and, um, friends I hung out with. There was a lot of after school hanging out, listening to the dead and listening to, to other music, you know, hanging out in people's garages and whatnot, which I, which I do remember fondly. So when you're saying that you're 13, when you're starting your kind of tape collection, that puts you at 92. Yeah. Um, which is, you're talking about kind of hoist time before hoist yeah hoist i think was okay. the first album that i that i bought of theirs um i probably got into tapes yeah 13 or 14 maybe i started in 93 but there wasn't really an internet you know so i had to like right. i had to use aol i think to like dial up or something it was and then i had to figure out like 
there's lists of people through different websites to, to trade tapes with. Cause that's how you got, that's how you accumulated tapes. You would make tapes for people and then, you know, send them to them and then they would, they would do the same for you. So it was a lot of, um, I mean, I was, I was doing it more prolifically once I could actually get myself around. So drive to the, to the store and buy tapes. And, um, so I was probably like doing it more once I turned 16, but I was definitely, getting tapes and and trading tapes earlier than that. So mm-hmm. by the time I went to college, I, as I said, I had hundreds and I was, I think maybe from the time I was 15 onward, I think most of my friends would associate me with fish musically. Mm-hmm. And was this just fish tapes that you had or were you fish and dead? Mostly just fish because there was a lot more, okay. there was a lot more dead, you know, as you know, there's a lot more live dead recordings available just via tape or CD, you know? Yeah. Um, there just wasn't a lot of fish out there. So you could buy like bootleg CDs or bootleg tapes at, at some store in Ann Arbor. We used to go to a lot and, and buy them. Um, but there just wasn't as much out there. So the dead, I feel like we, we got a fair amount of from Europe 72 and without a net and, mm-hmm. um, live dead and that sort of stuff. Yeah. When I was doing it during that time, I mean, that was kind of right around the same time and, I didn't, I hadn't yet gone into fish. The first album that somebody tried to pass on to me of fish was hoist. Mm -hmm. And I was working at tower records at the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we had quite a few of us that were deadheads. And honestly, I think maybe a couple of them were kind of into fish and it just didn't, it, it didn't resonate. I'm, still kick myself to this day and wonder how different my life would have been if I did allow it. But it was during a time where literally I would not listen to anything but the dead. Like I would listen to stuff at work or whatever, but I was just going from tape to tape of the dead basically. And somebody put in hoist and I was like, eh, listen to all those horns. And you know, I just, I, it just didn't hit me the right way. And, uh, unfortunately I didn't come back around to them until, quite a bit later, but okay, yep. I had the very good fortune of knowing a taper of dead shows and he would come into the, into tower records all the time. And I kind of knew him and I would buy stuff on my employee discount and give it to him. And he would give me good. I mean, like really good soundboards of just about anything. And, uh, so that was my, you know, big, big in, mm-hmm. but then I was still turning them around and doing B and P's like crazy and mailing out tapes to people. And my source was relics. Like I didn't even have a computer at that time. So I was using the ads in relics and some other magazine. I can't remember to find these people and just kind of distributing that way. Wow. Yeah. It's a similar kind of journey. So did you have a good source or were you just completely going through the trading process from step one? Yeah, I can't really remember. I I know that I had that I had various people that I would get get them from. So there wasn't there wasn't like one. It was definitely not one one source. There were like there was a there was a group, you know. Um, so I had I had a few different sources, but it was it, it varied. And I think there was a list of maybe 30, 40 people. Because mm-hmm. I remember sending tapes to a lot of different zip codes. Oh, yeah. You know, so it wasn't. That was part of the fun of it. Like seeing all these people that you were sending tapes to and like 
keeping a list and waiting for somebody to send something and then putting them on the bad traders list if you you know, never got something back and you would eventually see their name pop yeah. up as like, oh, yeah, me too. I sent this guy like six tapes and right, right, right. they were XL2s and XL2Ss and I never got them back. Or I sent this guy XL2Ss and he sent me back Memorex and, or Maxell or whatever. And yeah. you're like, oh, that guy's horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and mostly it just took a lot longer than you wanted. You know, that was the biggest yeah. gripe. But yeah, so right. it was it was a super fun experience. I mean, I'll never forget the experience of opening my mailbox and having new tapes, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then just getting in my car or up in my room and playing them. And, you know, it was just it's a really cool thing that I was I feel lucky to have been a part of. Totally. I think that that was a I mean, it's it's don't get me wrong. I love everything about the internet right now and the ability to go on and, you know, pay eight bucks for that fantastic show that just came out or mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. and watching Twitter for the set list as it comes across and everything. But there was absolutely something so cool and um, magical, I guess, if I really want to get kooky with it <laughs> about that time and about like, having to seek out and really work to find out even the set list for a show and um, hear about the rumors about what happened. And they, you know, they weren't at your fingertips the second that these things were happening. And yeah, there was something for, you know, having to walk uphill and barefoot in the snow both ways to <laughs> right, get these tapes right, exactly. that, that these whippersnappers nowadays don't have to deal with. Yeah, and just the te- there's like a tactile, you know, benefit mm-hmm. to just like holding these, like getting these things in the mail and opening the pack. It's just kind of like Christmas, but um, it happened every few days and was music. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, super fun experience. Even seeing like the uniqueness of different people's handwriting and you would mm-hmm. get like those. And I'm think again, I'm coming completely from the dead side and not mm-hmm. from the fish side, mm-hmm. but like the people who would print out their label and it would have a, you know, you would have a red label for these two tapes that was one show and a green label for these other ones. And right. one would have a turtle in the middle and one would have a dancing bear in the middle and you'd be all excited. And some, I mean, it was just a crazy different time much different yeah yeah exactly um and i I feel good i feel lucky for having grown up during that time because it was was a lot of fun to to experience music in that way so when was your first fish show um 95 so october of 95 was just 16 I'm not sure my, why our parents let us drive up there, but to, to Detroit by ourselves, but oh, maybe, wow. maybe we didn't even tell them. I'm not sure. But Brad, my co, one of my co-hosts and I, we've talked about this show on our podcast and we don't remember if we were allowed to go and it was mm-hmm. just crazy that we were allowed to go or if we went and didn't tell anyone. But either way, we were, we were there and it was awesome. And did you have a, an idea of what you were about to walk into because Again, coming from the dead side, the the journey for me was so weird because I only heard the tapes mm-hmm. uh, before I went to a show. I only heard the studio tapes, I should specify, and I didn't even know about the live side And because I just stumbled onto them through one friend in high school, and then some other people started teaching me some things and whatever, and then not too long after that, my first shows were... New Year's Eve in San Francisco 
And walking into this group of people was like, I mean, just completely mind blowing because I did not expect any of that at all. So (laughs) when you're walking into your first fish lot, was that that way for you or did you kind of know what you were getting into? I I feel like I kind of knew what I was getting into a little bit more, at least musically. I think the scene was probably overwhelming and and interesting, Um, like the the lot, the parking lot scene. Mm -hmm. Um, But the the music I definitely was more familiar with, although I know there was a lot that I heard that night that I probably, you know, had only heard a couple times on tape or whatever. And I remember that being, you know, certain songs I'll remember. And I remember where we where I was sitting and that that sort of thing. But yeah, I don't know. It was it was more like something I was expecting to be to see at some point. So sort of the anticipation was there. And I think, you know, it, it was it was a less mature scene, too, at that time for fish than it was for the mm-hmm. dead. When you when you first saw the dead, like, the you know, the fish scene had just kind of started to get big. And um, a lot of people were, you know, not that old, much older than I was. Um, mm-hmm. And it, I think it was just a younger scene. So I felt a little bit more. Like I was in with probably similar in a similar environment. I never got to see the dead, but I assume that by the time you saw them, it was just a crazy scene with people who were like who had been on tour for decades. Yeah. And and I remember, I don't know, 92, 93 and, you know, being at these shows and being a very active concert goer and dancing and whatever and Mm -hmm. seeing some of the people. I remember having a conversation with one of my friends and they were like did you see those people that were standing in front of us? Like that one guy was barely even bobbing his head. Like, why are they at this show that they're obviously not enjoying it. And mm-hmm. you know, it's funny now that I'm getting more and more hurty as an old person and doing as much as I can, like any song that I'm kind of standing still entirely, I'm thinking, Oh my God, I'm becoming that guy. <laughs> I try, I try my hardest to never, never stand still during fish shows, but, yeah. but sometimes it happens. Sometimes you got to take a break, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can't <laughs> as a, well, again, I'm older than you, but yeah. uh, it's, it's hard sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so then you, you go to your first show and, and does that just set it off entirely from there? Like, are you going to a bunch of shows from there or are you seeing, here and there until you're of a certain age. I think, I mean, it definitely kicked my like tape collecting and my, my fish fandom into a different gear. You know, I had started collecting more tapes and um, I was able to drive then. So I probably like made many more trips to whatever the store was that probably doesn't exist anymore to buy tapes. And I was working, um, I'd always worked, you know, part-time jobs while I was in high school. So I would work and make money and then spend them on music. Um, Oh yeah. And, and I'd buy things for my girlfriend too. I think I was, I was nice, but mostly, mostly blank tapes. Um, yeah. and then I started seeing them, you know, not, not really regularly until I went to college. Cause I saw them again the following fall of 96, which I was a junior. No, I was just entering my senior year. And then I graduated in the summer of June of 97. And then my friend Brad, who I started the podcast with and I, we went on a four or five show sort of run in, in, the Midwest. And that was sort of the beginning of actually going, you know, catching parts of tours, which was really pretty amazing. So you got to see a number of shows during 97. Yeah, I saw, I think I maybe saw 10 or 10 or 11 total um, between the summer and fall. So I I saw, you know, the Dayton, the Detroit, the Cleveland, 
Penn State, um, and then five or six during this summer. Um, Deer Creek, Alpine Valley, Tinley Park. So I was was really fortunate. It was a great um, great couple of years. In '98, I went to the island tour. Friends and I drove from Columbus to you know New York and then Rhode Island. And so I was. I, I feel like I got to see a lot of what I consider to be one of the best best eras. Peak, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's kind of my seventy. It's kind of funny that that happens that way. I never put it together. But my seventy six to seventy eight dead is kind of my like hallowed time uh, mm-hmm. that I really look very primely on those three years and just 20 years later, 96 to 98 is what I kind of look at as a very, very uh, one of multiple peaks, I should say for fish music. Yeah. I, th- I think the same, I feel the same way about the dead 72 and 73, I think are incredible. Um, so I share that, but yeah, it was, it was fun to be, be, part of that. And then I, you know, continued to see shows throughout college. Um, and then they broke up, you know, in 2000 for two years and then came back for about a year and a half until the middle of 2004. And they had a famously terrible, um, Oh boy. Weekend at Coventry, um, which I was, were you there? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Oh God. It was, it was pretty epic. Um, I was working on a campaign in Florida, which I think I mentioned on our last episode. Um, mm-hmm. And I drove. This is a pretty awesome story. My my friend actually that I met on that campaign in 2004 was just here yesterday with his um, family visiting from North Carolina, but had a ticket to fly from Tampa to Burlington, and it was August, and there was some kind of imminent storm, a hurricane or something, mm-hmm. and so I this is the middle of a campaign. I mean, it's so stupid. I was 25, 24 at the time, 25. I, I wish I was younger, but I was 25. Um, so I left for four days and I went, I, so I drive to the Tampa airport and I went up to the counter. You like went up to counters, you know, to yeah. check in or whatever, get a ticket yeah. or whatever you did. And they were like, sorry, the airport's closed. There's no more flights leaving tonight. There's a storm coming. And I was like, <sighs> I mean, what, what do you mean? You know, I was just kind yeah. of confused. I went back to the apartment I was living in with three friends and they actually went online and bought me a ticket from Southwest that was leaving from Atlanta the next morning to Burlington. So I, they sent me on my way about seven o'clock that night and I drove overnight to Atlanta, boarded a plane, got to Burlington in the middle of the day and waited for a friend to pick me up and for anyone who doesn't know about what happened that weekend, it was a complete, complete disaster musically, organizationally. It was just, I was there with a bunch of, you know, my very good friends and, and my, my wife, now wife. And, mm. you know, it, in that way, it was a good time spent with friends, but the music yeah. was a disaster. The band was a disaster. The There was mud. People were losing their shoes walking through yeah. the mud. Were you there? No, we, okay. I, we, my brother and I went to our, local cinema mm. and right, watched right, the right, final right, show right. in the theater, right. which I think was the first time that they had done that. And it was, it was crazy. I mean, because, because of where this theater is and anybody here in SoCal um, would know that it it's in the Irvine spectrum, which is like right in the middle of total cookie cutter, you know, not too far from, some of like Newport and all these areas that are very kind of 
hoity-toity mm-hmm. um, Southern California cookie cutter world. And so here's all these fish people descending on the theater and smoking pot in the theater and whatever. That's, that's, I I don't believe that. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of crazy. And we, my brother and I were like crying during, during waiting in the velvet sea when, when Paige was losing it, we were crying there in the theater. And it was a, it was a very interesting, weird experience there in the middle of a theater while all of this is going on across the country and knowing what you guys are going through there too. Yeah. It was a disaster. I mean, it was, um, there were some, there were some highlights I can now say, you know, 13 years later, mm-hmm. but man, it was a rough, rough time, especially because we didn't know, you know, we didn't, I actually just talked about this on our last podcast episode that I recorded. Um, I think it just came out. Yeah. The last episode where we took a deep dive into a song tweezer, but we didn't really like, you know, the internet wasn't a thing. We didn't, news didn't travel that quickly. Like we didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't know that Trey was like the, the guitarist songwriter, like was so, was in such trouble, you know, um, mm-hmm. until he, he told the same story two nights in a row and forgot how to play a bunch of songs. And, you know, yeah. it, was, it became much more clear that we were like, wow, this is bad. So overall it was an emotionally, you know, emotionally, physically sort of draining experience. Um, and, you know, they, they stopped playing for five years and I didn't, I didn't necessarily think they were going to come back. Although I don't, I don't know. I I spent those five years listening and discovering a lot more music, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and that was fun. And I still listened to a lot of fish and stuff, but they came back in 2009 and it was just, it, everyone was, ha- you know, happy and healthy is sort of the, was the theme. And that was just a really celebratory time. So the contrasted with the Coventry thing. It was just a really, it was a good time to be back. Yeah. Yeah. And there's been some, I mean, the, it it almost feels like there's been two different iterations of the band even since then in this seven to eight year period as well. Like they just have kind of, I don't know, they've had some definite massive peaks Mm -hmm. during this run as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And they were, they probably spent the last, the first three years probably of being back together, just kind of feeling it out and mm-hmm. learning how to play as in a band that they, when they broke up in 2004, they had been touring pretty much nonstop since, you know, 88 or something. So they had a solid, you know, 16 years of playing hundreds of shows a year. They were, they were a very, very, very tight band. And I think it just took a long time to get the trust and chemistry and all that back. And 2012 to 13, I think is when the new, the, the second era really started and they've, they've been just amazing ever since. And it's, it's a different scene now. And I think it's just like what we've been talking about with parenting being, you know, so many of my friends who I go to shows with our parents, you know, and mm-hmm. there's, it's just, it's just a different scene. Like, it's not like we don't go and drink beer and smoke joints and have fun, but it's, it's really, it's just a, it's just a more mature and happier and healthier kind of scene, you know, and people are having fun and, you know, everyone's like, everyone's not everyone. There's a lot of people in their thirties and forties and fifties who go to fish shows and just have fun and dance and don't care what they look like or what people think. And it's just, it's, it's so fun. I think it's more fun now than it's ever been for me. Yeah. And I see, I see way, you know, many fewer shows now than I used to, but the, the concert going is, is better. I think now maybe than it's ever been. Yeah. It is a more, 
mature ear that a lot of us are bringing to it as well. You know, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. when, when I was in those early Grateful Dead stages, like hearing some of the people talking and spending a lot of time with the older deadheads kind of, I don't know, shaped me in a different way where some of them were the, you know, you, you're always going to have in whatever community and in whatever grouping, not even just music, but you're going to have the very negative people who are going to crap on whatever they are hearing and say, oh, that was horrible. And they flubbed this blah, blah, blah. Like that segue was, and there are the obvious ones that are like, wow, you just ripcorded that massively Mm -hmm. or whatever. But you know, there are the things that you got to let that one kind of go and whatever that I think when I was talking with a lot of the older group that I got to appreciate those things way back when that I think a lot of people are starting to get to appreciate now about fish. Yeah, definitely. And I I think that's a good, that's a good point. And they're also just musically, I mean, they're in their early fifties, they're just better, you know, they're better musicians. They, they're, they're not as fast. They're not as, um, they can't, you know, Trey can't play guitar solos as, as crazily as he did in the early nineties, but they're, they're better at listening. They're better. They just have more experience, you know, they're, they're masters of their instruments at this point. And, there's a lot to be said for that, and that might take the place of raging guitar solos or 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 thirty minute jams. But man, they're they're really musically just. I think they're just on a different plane now than they were, you know, ten years ago or fifteen years ago. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see what comes out of this uh, Baker's dozen mm-hmm. at MSG. Are you going to any of those? Yeah, I think I'm going to four of them. Um, yeah. And this is something that's interesting because I was thinking about the parenting sort of connection. I mean, I, as I think I talked about, I've always kind of, I I really do truly, it sounds kind of weird and maybe naive or something, but I I see life as like an adventure. I, that's how I, that's how I raise my kids and Mm -hmm. I don't let any circumstances sort of dictate what we can or can't do with our kids. I, every weekend morning I take them on walks and I, t- I basically bring them along for the ride more than I let them dictate my life. Um, <laughs> and so for, for, for things like, you know, fish shows, well, I've taken my son to Atlanta for the weekend to stay with family and then I'll have them, you know, babysit him and put him to bed and I'll go to the shows. And, but I've, you know, flown down to Atlanta and back with just me and my son and driven, driven to shows with him to, and stayed with relatives or friends. And, all, all the people there I really have to do is just put him to bed and I'm back at midnight, you know, but it's just some people are really amazed that I would do that. Like, you know, I don't know. People are people often enter parenting parenthood, I think, like a little bit just scared, you know, and feeling cons- mm-hmm. from a place of contraction as opposed to expansion, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I just I think it's so um that can be really detrimental just to your own life. If you see your kids as a, as a constraint on your life, as opposed to just like they can kind of come along and, and be part of it. I wouldn't take my kids to a fish show, you know, until they're 15, right? you know, but I don't know. I, that's just an interesting overlap that I've, I've really kind of taken to heart parent parenting wise. Well, also like I would think that, you know, for, for those of you who listened to the first episode and again, if you haven't go back, but, you know, a lot of that comes from your the way that you have lived your life. And 
a lot of that potentially on the opposite side of it is that not just not constraint, but that kind of anchoring someone mm-hmm. to that place. You know, if if your parents don't kind of venture out with you and take you on those adventures and either take you with them while they are doing that or allow you to do that, that kind of becomes ingrained in you in not wanting to step out and experience those things on your own or do it with your kids like what what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because in a lot of ways I've sort of taken an opposite approach to parenting than I think my parents did, but um, not with any intention of I'm going to do things differently, just <clears throat> as more of a just continuation of how I've reacted, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, and, you know, if you were somebody who is obviously not as level-headed and and in that way grounded as you are because clearly you're not completely like all over the place and not having any ties or anchors or not respecting your responsibilities as a parent as a husband etc cetera, etc cetera, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there is good to be seen in the way that you have lived and done your life in this way. So why wouldn't you continue on with that and try to at least give your children the opportunity to have that, see that and experience it and have that ability on their own when that time comes to make that decision with a, with the benefit of knowing what that is like, as opposed Mm -hmm. to, Ooh, that's scary. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's how I see it for sure. All right. Well, so you are obviously like this music and this band and all of this is very important to you. How did this all kind of evolve into the creation of the podcast? Yeah, well, um, I guess I should say that the first thing my, my um, friend Brad and I, who, who I started it with, we were a fan of this podcast called The Dead Pod, which still exists. And hmm. it was just a podcast where this guy whose name is The Professor, I think he is somewhere in Michigan. Um, he does a you know set a week um, where he releases a podcast a week. It's just him talking for three minutes or so and then a set of music. And we both had been listening to that for a while. I've been actually listening to podcasts since probably 2008 or 2009, pretty early. Mm-hmm. And we knew that there was, there was only one fish podcast that existed and it was um, a little bit more of like a analytical and I think, you know, kind of picking apart things and taking a little bit of like the snarky kind of fish fan mm-hmm. perspective. Um, and, I, I always have a lot of projects. I like to have side projects. I'm not like really good with being bored. Like I, I don't, it's weird. My, one of my friends, Jim, who's um, a fellow parent, like he makes fun of me cause I don't, I, I don't do, I don't like play video games. I don't play games on my phone. Like I'm always like trying to figure out another project to do. So mm-hmm. my wife was pregnant at the time, um, which I think was part of the spurring me to like, to make a project, which I don't know, most people probably would have built like a piece of furniture or something like that, but, um, build a crib. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, luckily I just had to put one together out of a box, but <laughs> my friend Brad and I were, you know, I, it was so funny cause I've had so many people ask me since then, like, how do I start a podcast? Is it complicated? 
we had no idea what we were doing. We just, mm-hmm. we were like, let's get a logo. I had a friend who's a designer make a logo. We both got microphones and we just started recording. And that was, you know, four years ago. Um, and what we really wanted to do was just bring sort of normal fans voices into the fish conversation. Cause it, there, there weren't really any other podcasts like it. And there was in the community, people were starting to start blogs. Um, it was sort of like a kind of third wave of the web, you know, with medium and, and other platforms that were coming out and becoming more popular, making it easier for people to just express their opinions about music. Mm-hmm. And so we were definitely part of that. And, we just started like inviting guests on people who followed us on Twitter or sent us messages. We would just um, invite people on to tell their story and, and play music. So we've had some really great conversations over our, you know, 110 episodes or so. And I think, you know, there's people who have come on who have really just gotten a lot of enjoyment out of being able to talk about their favorite band. And we've, you know, it's, interesting because one of the my friend zach who um was our first guest on episode three i think what he said to me once a while ago was like you know when you guys this podcast when it gets good is when you guys transcend sort of the music and you start to connect with your guests about what it's the influence that this band has had on their lives you know Mm -hmm. so now you're you're not just talking about this cool jam or this cool show but you're talking about how much this person's life is is different because of this this band and that's like that's kind of the core we don't start off with that question but you know sometimes the conversations end up there and that's like i think when it really becomes important is when those conversations go in that direction yeah so where are you guys trying to take it and is there a like we really want to score this interview or do you guys have targets like that or is it just exactly what you were saying, like the conversations that are happening and the things that are coming out of that are really what it is about and for, for you guys. Yeah. I think it really is more about just the, it's staying, staying relevant within the conversation. So not relevant in terms of like breaking news or whatever, but just like, Mm -hmm. you know, following the trends that we see or the, or the feedback that we get. Um, we, last year we started doing really quick, quick episodes, 15 minutes or so after every show that they played. We, we might've started that last summer or the summer before. I can't remember, but that was like a new thing we tried and people loved it and it, it bumped up our numbers and um, we've maintained those numbers. So we're, we're kind of, we're thinking about something interesting to do, but on the Baker's dozen shows, which is mm-hmm. for people who don't know 13 shows they're playing at Madison square garden. So I think our, what's fun to me is just to kind of figure out how to keep growing and keep evolving. Um, while still, I mean, the, the cool thing, just like the, you, this podcast, you're, you know, worst case scenario is you have a cool conversation with someone about parenting, right? Like worst case scenario for us is we listen to a fish show and talk about it. Like it's, yeah, you know, it's a pretty good fallback. Um, <laughs> so yeah. we're just, we're having a lot of fun. We had Tom Marshall on who uh, people who don't know is the fish lyricist and, you know, sort of sixth member of the band. Um, he was on, I think our 90th or 91st episode, somewhere around there. And that was obviously a huge, huge conversation for us. And and we've become sort of friends with him and collaborated with him on some stuff. So that was a huge milestone. And what's interesting to me is seeing fans and former guests and, and one of our partners, Jonathan, starting their own podcasts that are inspired by 
by fish music or, or grateful dead, or hopefully, you know, in some way we've sort of given them, you know, the, the, the push to, to start a project that they've been wanting to start. And I, in our mind or my mind, at least like plenty of room for, for more conversations about music. So that's been rewarding for me to be able to kind of help and coach people who are, who are starting new podcasts. And that's something I hope to continue. Yeah. And that makes your name. See, we were kind of joking about that, but it does make you become more helping and friendly. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So that that's really fun to me. And um, it's just fun to see these little like branches kind of growing off and um, not, not that we've started them or whatever, but just, I think people have seen the, you know, been inspired by whatever podcast they listen to and started their own, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And, and I think for me, like very true to what you were saying, like the worst case scenario, like I, I don't, I can't imagine having this conversation that I'm having in, in my normal dad episodes with somebody and walking away from it. Like, well, that was a clunker. Like it from, from anybody, I mean, unless I, I guess I shouldn't jinx myself there, there <laughs> might be somebody who, who might not give really any kind of inspiring conversation or whatever. But for the most part, like every single one that I'm walking away from, I'm learning something out of that conversation with somebody that I didn't think about in one way or another that is good for me to take in as a parent, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not making my podcast as a dads, this is how you should be parenting because, you know, I am the absolute first person to say like, I'm not super dad, you know, I still am like learning and trying to be better and doing things that my kids are going to embrace and walk away from as adults and look back on and realize, you know, why I was disciplining them for this or why I was trying to guide them in that way or whatever. But I think for me, like hearing all of these stories from guys about their dads and about themselves and their relationships with their kids is uplifting and also reminds me like that though we are kind of kind of like what you were saying, like there is a definite massive bond between mother and child. Like, and I remember this and you're, you're kind of in this now and I'm this, I know we're on the music podcast episode, but (laughs) you know, there, there is that time as you are early on in the process when you kind of are like, two left feet in that scenario. Like Mm -hmm. you're the mom is feeding the child and the child is really having still that residual bond of, I just came out of your body from being in there for nine months. And this is my being my like caretaker and my life giver, et cetera. And, you know, as the dad, you're kind of waiting for that opportunity to kind of bond with your child and for them to recognize you as somebody else that is there. And, um, you know, you're basically like, I'm here to help. I'm here to change diapers and I'm here to, you know, hold them while they cry so you can get some kind of peace of mind and help them go to sleep and help feed them and whatever. But that bond is very, very strong. And, um, so I think having these conversations with a lot of dads is able to remind us that we, 
we are significant too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, it's complicated. It's not, it's not simple. And I think that's one interesting thing about your podcast. And I think ours and, and maybe any that delve into these topics in any depth, it's, it's never a simple point A to point B story for anyone. Um, parenting, music, movies, you know, love life, whatever it is. And that's, um, that's where it gets interesting, right? Is the twists and turns. And that's, that's what we try to explore. And I think you do too. So that's, that's kind of cool, um, overlap. Yeah. And I think, I think with yours as well, part of this is, I don't, I don't, it it may be different where you live, but it's, I don't find myself having as many conversations with quote unquote strangers Mm -hmm. as, as I maybe would like to have, or as I think maybe they had 20 years ago or that they have in other areas of the world or in the U S where it's not as busy and we're all connected to our phones and whatever. And so I think that part of me does believe that, that a little bit of the boom of podcast um, and these kinds of formats of podcast is springing from that. And I think even like, did you listen to, um, S town? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so for me, like that is a guy who the subject of that is somebody that hardly anybody knew and hardly anybody would have known because of where he lives and look at how much so many of us are connecting to these characters that, you know, are so like far from a lot of us um, not only geographically, but the way we live our lives and how much we are connecting with them. And I think that that can be a good, very good thing of podcasts of helping us connect to these other people. Like I'm, you know, 80 to 90% of my guests now are people that I'm recording with remote and I may never meet any of mm-hmm. these people, but mm-hmm. I do think that I'm making these connections with these people. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to show up on your front doorstep someday is what I'm telling you, RJ. Perfect. I'll, be, I'll watch out for you. Just don't, I'm just kidding. There's a sign on our door that says don't knock because we have sleeping babies and oh, dogs. So, you know, you can show up. Just just stand there. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for what you do. I mean, this is cool. It's a cool project. I'm glad it's I'm glad it's, you know, working and that you're getting something out of it, too. Yeah. I mean, likewise, like, you know, I don't I think when I go to shows you know, every once in a while I'll talk with somebody next to me a lot of times, but you know, otherwise, like, I think that is a great thing about your platform is it is a good reminder that these people that you are, you know, bumping into and the beer line or whatever, like are these real people that have these ties and they are all here for this thing that you all love and enjoy and have, I mean, uh, apart from the newbie or the person who's going there with a friend, like that you share this very real bond of this thing that has changed your life in a massive way. And so I think that's one of the things that I love about your podcast. Thank you. Thanks. And we'll, um, we should talk on that podcast too at some point. Yeah. Well, I think, I don't know. I think we've kind of gone through all of those things. I I could do a speed round with you and ask you some some quick questions. Cool. So from the let's let's break this down into years. 
Um, and this might be more difficult than I'm thinking for you, but, um, up to 95 from fish. Could you name a top two or three favorite shows? Hmm. Up to 95. Yeah, sure. Um, one that I remember one of my first, first tapes, um, four sixteen ninety two, which is from California, really good soundboard that circulated just with them kind of at the top of their, you know, raging powers. Um, it's a really good, that's a really good show to, to listen to. Let's see something from 93. Um, there's a really good show from Berkeley from August 28th, 1993, um, tour closer from the end of a great summer tour that was really kind of put them, you know, on the nationwide touring map. Um, so that's, that's a really good show to go back to. And then the one that I, I talk about the most probably is December 29th of 1994, which has one of my favorite, probably my favorite fish jams, um, really long version of a song called David Bowie. So twelve twenty nine ninety four. I would I would throw those out there. Those are the first ones that come to mind. Okay, so I'm gonna break this one down into a smaller grouping. Uh, even though I should probably go to retirement, but ninety six <laughs> to ninety eight, top three. Oh man, um, and if three is too tough, you can do a top five. Ninety six to ninety eight. Okay, um, and this is all off the top of my head. I have to be be yeah. honest. Um, okay. Well, the the Halloween '96 show where they played "Remain in Light" by the Talking Heads, the whole the whole thing, great show, really good playing in the first and third sets, and then they did that cover in the second set. So I would I would put that up there. Mm, so '97 is just too hard. There's just too many amazing shows, yeah, um, right? But I would I would say that there's. The so okay, there are a few fall shows that I would just go to immediately. One is um, November seventeenth, which is from Denver, November seventeenth, ninety seven, and then I would go to twelve six, which is the Palace show, which is pretty famous and and well known. And I mean, I would have to say the next night, which is the Dayton ninety seven show, which is a very you know well regarded and well respected show. Um, and then I would just go back to August of that year for the the last day of the Great One, which was August seventeenth, ninety seven. Mm-hmm. Those are I don't know how many that was, but that was off the top of my head. Yeah, those are good choices. <laughs> okay, so uh, we'll skip. Should we skip ninety nine and yeah, ninety eight has a lot of good shows too. That's what yeah, ninety eight does have a lot of good shows. <laughs> eleven eleven ninety eight, which is um, from Grand Rapids, has a Haley's Comet in the second set that's um one of the best one of my favorites of all time so i would let me just add that to the list mm-hmm. then going to their first retirement oh man so the 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 03 04 years were just a lot of ups and downs 04 mostly down 03 summer was was great um <laughs> so there's a February 28th, 2003 show from Nassau Coliseum. That's, that's I think, one of the most well-known shows. Mm-hmm. That's just phenomenal um, all the way around. And then from that summer, maybe the July 30th show, which is from um, Camden, New Jersey, outside Philly. Another really good show. I think that was yeah the second to last show of the tour. Those are the two that I, I would go back to. The They played a, a festival um, at called It!, and August 2nd and 3rd of 2003, which were also good. But I don't really go past 
2000. I don't really listen to 2004. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one of still my favorite shows attending was the Valentine's 03, which I think was their, was that their first show back? Or? Yeah. They played Hampton New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve at MSG and then two right. nights in Hampton right after that. And then, they, and then they came out to LA yep. and still one of my favorite bathtub gins. Yeah. That's a really good. Yeah. Okay. So let's go all the way. What? Oh, nine through 12 or 13. What would make more sense? 12 and then 13 to this year. Yeah. So oh nine. um, there was a show I was at November 28th, 09. I'd, I'd seen a lot of shows up to that point that year because they were back and I was excited. 1128 was from Albany. There was a great um, two song combo in the second set that made me understand and believe that they were, they were back. They met business. Um, really great, great show. Um, I don't listen to a ton from 2010, 2011, but I would jump forward to 2012. I mean, the, you know, the, the sort of, landmark shows of um 2012 are the the run in denver um in august mm-hmm. of 2012 and at, at dicks and that was um i mean the 831 show um is just incredible 831 2012 just really phenomenal one of the best shows they played in the in maybe ever but um definitely in that era so i would go straight to that Yep. And then maybe um, 13 to present day. Yeah, that's man, that's so hard. Okay. So 13, the fall of 13, the entire run, the entire fall tour, it wasn't that long. It was a week and a half or two weeks. Um, Phenomenal. Every show, August, I mean, sorry, October 18th through um, I think November 2nd after the, after Halloween. Um, Maybe there might have been one show that wasn't great, but they were almost all great. I was at the Halloween show. My son was seven weeks old and I went. Um, so yeah, um, that was fun. And that was just, you know, maybe I shouldn't have gone, but I'm glad I did. And then 2014 has a couple of my favorite shows ever. Randall's Island, um, July 13th, 2014 is is one of my favorites. The, um, what's the other one from 2014? Um, there was um, July 27th, which is my wife's birthday, um, at Meriwether Post Pavilion. There was a what we would call a tweezer fest. Mm-hmm. Incredible, one of one of my most memorable nights of seeing fish ever with with friends and my wife and and others. And we were just it was just one of those shows that everything was just they, the band was having a blast. Mm-hmm. We were having a blast. It was incredible. And then there's some good stuff. Um, in the in the fall as well um but i i would go straight to to summer 2015 because some of my favorite shows of all time are are in summer 2015 there's two in particular that i often go back to from atlanta um july 31st and august or sorry yeah july 31st and august 1st from from atlanta two great shows back to back and then um, August 15th from Meriwether Post, which I was at, which was also great. And then Magna Ball, which was the end of the summer festival. Just three days of incredible music and a, just a great atmosphere. And um, so it was, um, it's been a great, it just, it's been a great several years. That's about all I can say. Yeah, it's been a, a very good 
time right now musically. And I, I like what you're saying of a couple of those years that you don't really tap into. I think I'm kind of the same way. And I love that there is that bounce back after that, you know, that is coming into some great music and individually as well as, as a unit. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a joy. It's a real, it's a real joy to still be able to go see them. I feel very thankful and excited every, for every show and there are a couple coming up, you know, in a month and a half or so, which is, which is pretty great. Yeah. We were pretty bummed because we always get the summer out here, the show in like LA that falls right around my very good friend's birthday. And Mm -hmm. uh, we got asked out this year. So we'll do one last bit of lightning round questions, quote unquote lightning round. And I'm sure there's some podcast like Joe Rogan or somebody that does a lightning round and I'm going to get sued for using that. So we'll call it the like thunder and lightning round. Sweet. Uh, (laughs) But do you know off the top of your head or do you have somewhere located your uh, set list for your fish dream show? Dream show. Hmm. Um, I don't, and I, I don't, or think even I a set, a set. It's hard for me to think about that because I, I'm so, um, like steeped in the history and specifics, you know? So mm-hmm. for a dream set, I would put, I would point to a show that I, that already happened that, that I would seen, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I could like put something together, but then it, you know, when you get into it like that, then it's like, well, like, do I have to tell you how long each song is or, or right. what I like? That's would true. think would think that they should do within those um so yeah. i don't i know a lot of people do and like there's like you know fantasy set lists and stuff and i just i've never really gotten into that i think because i'm just like a little bit too um grounded in the the history and the specifics of of what they have done and what they are doing now if that makes sense yeah. that's still an excellent answer so i i qualify that thank you okay your favorite show from baker's dozen now that we can oh, actually talk about yeah. this, I mean, we recorded this way before Baker's Dozen. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard because almost, I would say 12 out of like 11, 12 out of the 13 were outstanding shows that mm-hmm. that are all-timers, you know? Um, yeah. My my favorite probably is the 28th, which I think was night, one, two, three, four, five, six, um, seven, 28. That's, that was the first one that I saw, partially because I saw it and I was there and there was a really long chalk dust torture, which I, I I like those jammed out versions. And then they went into um, a cover of you sexy thing, which was the theme was chocolate, double chocolate. And apparently that song is by a band called hot chocolate. And I didn't know that before. Yeah. Who knew that? (laughs) Like there are some random people that knew that, but yeah, I never would have known that. It was so awesome. Um, It worked so well. The, then then it was just a beautiful wonderful night i was with you know five or six actually of my close friends and man it was it was beautiful but musically like the jam filled night is just mm-hmm. right so before good. we right before we started talking i was actually kind of starting a twitter um conversation like i do often stirring the pot and just like this i think that show was one of the most important like that lawn boy jam was one of the most important jams historically to fish maybe in, in their entire history because it, it's just this incredibly new groundbreaking thing that's never been done before, you know, mm-hmm. a, a 25, 27 minute jam out of a, of a very short song. That's just not something that they do. They take, 
you know, standard songs and turn them into jam vehicles over time. But it's rare that like just suddenly there's a 20, 25, 28 minute jam on a two and a half minute song. So I think that's just historically incredible. Yeah. What about you? There, I was going to say jam night um, because of that. It's just it's too hard to top that lawn boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yep. it was just ridiculous. Amazing. Not only not only that it's coming out of a very short song, but the type of song that that is too. It's not like a, you know, I could, I could have seen what I would love to see them do is a, an elongated ass handed, the, the mm-hmm. riff. I love the riff. I love the music of that. What? One minute, one and yeah. a half minute song. The, like ass handed or whatever. The Fishman yeah, song. Yeah, ass handed. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Did I say asked out? It's yeah, a ridiculous ass-handed. song. <laughs> which my brother and I were there for, I believe, the first one, which was in Chula Vista. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, I mean, cracking up laughing. And Trey was cracking up on stage during it. And I, I think at some point, because they played it twice. And I think mm-hmm. either during mm-hmm. the first one or the second one, Trey at some point said how much he loved that song. So I would love to see them break that thing into a nice. Uh, I could see that taking place of like a Frankenstein or a 2001. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I like that. I like that idea. I hope they do that too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you can do this one two ways. I think it would be better completely non-fish island albums. Top five. All right. Um, hmm, just give me a sec. I would so top of my head. I would say I would take one of the Europe seventy two releases just as mm-hmm. like a set aside, so I could have the Grateful Dead if I'm not allowed to have Fish. Um, but Cold Roses by Ryan Adams, Live Rust, Neil Young, Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin, and fourth, I'd probably I'd probably do Abbey Road. Oh yeah, good choice. Well done. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to probably add like fifteen to that list. You know, I know it, it will probably now. change tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's one that's of tough. those. That's, that's good. It's that's a, good, a very difficult. It's a good list. thing yeah. to think about. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing that I kind of jotted down was a song that you've. Is there even a song that you've always been chasing, or one that you have been chasing from your very very early days that you haven't seen since? Um. I didn't I didn't know until after the Baker's Dozen, but I hadn't seen Tila ever mm. until um Baker's Dozen. Oh really? And it's 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 always been a very it's always been one of my favorites, but I just hadn't seen it before. So I didn't really notice it at the mm-hmm. time for some mm-hmm. reason. But then did after. So I'm I'm pretty psyched about that. So apparently I was chasing that. And I'm I'm glad I'm not anymore. That's the downfall of I mean, downfall is kind of a, a the wrong word for it because it's not really negative, but of listening to recordings as much as you or we or many of us do. That you, yeah, it's true. You're so it's used true. to hearing it that you probably imagine that you have seen it before. Yeah, exactly. And like my, um, I know that a lot of people have songs they're chasing. One of my co-hosts, Matt, was um, got to see um, uh, Harpua for the first time on um, the Sunday show. Me at msg and that was pretty special for him and and cool to 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 be with him for that but like i I think there's having seen fish since 95 or so there's there's a lot there's not much that i've that i haven't seen at this point yeah not not in a bragging way just in like a 
factual way. I think on the on the um, chart in terms of like most common songs not played, I think the landlady is at the top of my mind and because that's sort of part of punching the eye, it's almost like not fair to, to do it. But below that would be peaches and regalia, um, which I've never mm. seen. So that that's something. And Megillah, those are the two that I haven't seen that I would, I would like to mm. see. All right. Well, thank you for humoring me with that rapid yeah. fire. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. Um, but I guess I know a lot about fish and that's, you know, it's good to the pros and cons. It's good to keep your mind sharp and active with that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Again, thank you so much for coming on and spending some of this time, especially at this time and stage of your children's lives. Yeah, no, no, it's been it's been fun. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's been really fun. Yeah, for sure. And uh, for all of you, remember to uh, check out the Helping Friendly podcast. Um, check them out on hfpod.com and hfpod on Twitter and go catch a listen because they have some amazing conversations on there as well as um, for any of the those of you who have stuck on with me because of my Humphreys connections um, there are some interviews some interviews I know for sure Joel Cummins yeah and we talked to Jefferson Waffle oh, yeah, as well yeah, that's true all right well keep an eye out for all of those things that the helping friendly podcast has going on and the other offshoots they have created. And again, uh, I will say as somebody who was helped by other podcasters, keep up that work of helping other people out. That is so fantastic in our community. And I love that you guys are very helpful to others and building uh, this whole group for other people to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for all that you do. Yeah. Okay. And that wraps up my long conversation going into his twins bedtime. So I will not only give a huge thank you again and appreciation to RJ for taking the time out of his evening out there on Eastern Standard Time to record with me, but also to his wife for taking over from whatever point she did as well. I really should also thank my wife who took control of the family at home so that I could do these recordings tonight and every other time. So big thank you to my wife who may never hear this, but if you guys come across her path, you can say he did. Thank you. In that one episode with RJ. So I am very appreciative of her allowing me to take time away to be able to record these episodes because I do feel like there is an importance to this podcast and that it is something that is fruitful and helpful and beneficial for other people and not just for myself. So how do we know that that is true? from your guys' interactions with me. So again, you can do that on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, all as Daddy Unscripted, one word. You can check out the website and you should. I'm starting to really work hard to bulk up a companion piece to each one of these episodes at daddyunscripted.com and make better use of that blog space and be able to post some photos and some interesting other tidbits outside of just, you know, having show notes normally on there. So you can also find the podcast. You should have already found it. But for those of you who want to spread the word, it can be found on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play for those people who have Android phones. 
And you can drop me an email at daddyunscripted at gmail.com with your ideas of other guests that I should have and what other things you would like to see come out of this show, etc. It is uh, much like how our government should be for the people, by the people, and other things blank the people, right? Yes. One additional shout out of appreciation to Humphreys McGee. I know this podcast was really focused on fish, but I don't have fish music to play for you. I have Humphreys McGee music that I play for you at the beginning, the end of the episodes and kind of overlapping some of the conversation. So huge appreciation and thanks as always go out to Humphreys McGee, the band, the management for making that relationship possible between my podcast and the band so that I could have your music as part of this. I do really love having the music as such an integral part of my podcast from a band that I love and appreciate so much. So thank you guys. Thanks again for listening. I love all of the feedback that and the encouragement that you guys are giving me and have been giving me from the get-go. And keep your eye out. In a couple of weeks, we will have our next couple of episodes coming out with a new guest. So thanks again, guys. Thanks.